There are a number of scripture passages that deal with our inner being and the reality that our inner life, our inner being needs to be transformed, it needs to be renewed. And we've been talking about that over the last two months uh, in an interesting way. We've been looking at what, what we're calling archetypal energies, and that's new language for some of you. And we're going to dive into that even more deeply today. And for those of you who, this might not be your cup of tea, I just want to let you know that today is the last Sunday we will be talking about this stuff, um, for a while at least, for years I would say. Uh, Next Sunday we're going to be talking about Advent and Christmas. So uh, bear with me if this is not your cup of tea, but but I think this will be helpful for some of you who have been traveling along with us through this, this journey about journeys. And we're going to dive a little bit deeper into in these archetypal energies. And just to remind you, these archetypal energies we've been talking about, that's your inner orphan, your inner wanderer, your inner warrior, your inner altruist, your inner innocent, and your inner transformer. And if you, if you after today's message, maybe you've missed a number of messages, you want to go back and listen to them to know what we're talking about here, they are on our message podcast on our website, so you can catch up. Today, I want to wrap up this series by responding to a number of questions that people have asked me about these archetypal energies, about these journeys that we've been talking about over the last two months. The first question is, is a version of, of multiple questions, kind of condensed into one. And that question is this, do I have to go through these journeys in a particular order? And another question that's kind of a part of that question is, how do we transition from one journey to the next journey? So the the short answer is, there is a typical sequence through which we go through these journeys. And that's because they are interconnected with our life stages. So the orphan journey is the first one we talked about. And usually in childhood, we experience some kind of orphan journey. So that's usually the first journey that we take. And then we move into adolescence and in our teenage years, and that's where we typically will take some kind of wanderer journey, where we differentiate ourselves from our parents or from the group that we belong. So there, there is this natural order that kind of coincides with the natural stages of our, of our lives. Having said that, no journey is the same because no human being is the same. And you have to honor the uniqueness of your own journey. For instance, many Christians have been birthed and raised in uh, altruist energy, ultra-altruist energy. So the, the, the dominant energy that you have experienced from, from birth to into your teenage years, into adulthood, is this altruist energy. So the first journey you took was the altruist journey. And that's fine. So you took your altruist journey long before you took an orphan journey or a wanderer journey, certainly before a warrior journey. That's fine. There is no particular order that you need to experience these journeys. What is important is that you pay attention to your inner being. That you learn to pay attention to your inner life. Because your inner being is very complex. We've talked about that. There's so much going on within each and every one of us. And the reality is all of these archetypal energies are within you. Each and every one of you has an inner warrior. You have an inner wanderer. You have an inner altruist. 
And it's interesting, some people, I hear them talk, oh, I could, I could never stand up for myself like that. I could never be that assertive. And what I'm hearing is not someone who lacks an inner warrior. I'm hearing someone who has not met their inner warrior yet. Same as, I, you know, you meet some people and they're like, well, I've, I'm just a jerk. I've always been a jerk and I'll always be, come from a long line of jerks. And, you know, we just don't really care about other people. That's just how we are. And what, have you ever met anyone like that? What I'm hearing is not someone who lacks an inner altruist. I, I'm meeting someone who has yet to meet their inner altruist and integrate that energy into their lives. We all have all six archetypal energies. Just to confuse things more, there's actually more. But we all have these six basic archetypal energies within us. The whole point is not to move from one stage to the next stage to the next stage so that we get to the end or we get to the best stage, the stage that we think is best, and then we've graduated. Okay, now I'm a transformer. That's not how it works. In fact, it's more like a spiral than a linear progression. We revisit all of these stages again and again throughout our lives because there's more that we need to learn from each stage. There's more that each archetypal energy has to offer us in order for us to move towards healing and wholeness in certain areas of our lives. So we're not ascending this developmental ladder What we're doing is expanding our inner beings, or more accurately, we're expanding our awareness of our inner beings. And what happens as we begin to integrate these different archetypal energies into our lives, we develop a larger range of responses to life. I'm going to come back to that. The point isn't about taking one journey to get to the next. The point is to integrate all of these archetypal energies into our lives, learn what we need to learn from them, take the gifts that each one offers us, and then live in a way that balances all six energies within our beings. So really about integrating so that they are balanced. We need all of these different energies on any given day. I mean, it depends what your day is like, I suppose. But there are days you're going to need your inner altruist and you're going to need your warrior. You're going to need your transformer and innocent. And believe it or not, you need your orphan. Maybe not every day. All of them have a gift to give us. For example, the orphan gives us the ability to anticipate problems and danger. Remember, the gift of the orphan journey is resilience. We need resilience to live a meaningful and healthy life. The, the wanderer provides for us some form of authentic self-expression. And we need that in order to live a healthy and meaningful life. So it helps us differentiate ourselves from, from our parents, from our church, from our group, from our culture that has been defining us since we were born. We need that self-differentiation. And I, I, I'm not sure I'm going to go through them all because I've, I've named the, the unique gifts throughout this series. But each one of these archetypal energies gives us something that we need And not only that we need at that time, that we need for the rest of our lives. The next question is this. What does it mean to take a journey? Like, how do I take this orphan journey? Or how do I take this wander journey? What does that look like? And here's the problem with journey language. Uh, All analogies are limited, right? And the problem with journey language is it gives the impression that we, there's a beginning to this journey and that there's an end. And we get to the end and we're like, okay, I'm done with the orphan stuff. A better way of thinking about this is to become aware of our archetypal energy and to integrate archetypal energy. So archetypal awareness, what I mean by that is just to become aware that you have an inner warrior. 
to become aware that you have an inner altruist, an inner orphan. All these different archetypal energies. Become aware that they are within your inner being and spend time with them. It's really as simple as that. And that might be more helpful than journey language. Meet your inner archetypal energies and spend time with them. That's the only way that they can give you the lessons that they have to teach you and give you the gifts that you need. Like I said, as we integrate these different archetypal energies into our lives, it gives us uh, a wider and broader range of responses to life. If you only have access to your inner warrior energy, for example, well, then you are going to respond to everything with warrior energy. Must defeat them, must slay them, must conquer them. That's how you're going to live life. If you only have access to your altruist energy, that's how you're going to live life. Always just, okay, I'll just sacrifice myself so that everyone can get along. I'll just give everything I have away so that people will just... We need access to all of these different energies in order to be able to respond to different situations in appropriate ways, both for ourselves and for the other people involved. So perhaps another analogy will be helpful. Imagine that your inner psyche, your inner being, is like a house, and it has different rooms. Now, just like your house, it has different rooms, and they all have different purposes. Well, at least in my house... The kitchen has a a purpose, a distinct purpose, and the bathroom has a different purpose. I'm assuming it's similar in your homes. And then you have a bedroom where that that is a different purpose. So we have all these different rooms with different purposes. And and we look at our, our inner being as a house. There are these different rooms. And each of these rooms is an archetypal energy that has a different purpose, that has different gifts and different insight and different perspective that we need to live and interact with the world around us and the people around us. And so this, this, this integrated life that we're talking about is, is really just about opening these doors to these rooms and kind of becoming familiar with the room and the purpose that it has in our lives. Some of us have just one door open, so that's where we operate all the time. We can only inhabit one room at a time in our, in our conscious field, but the goal is to have all these doors open, become familiar with all these archetypal energies that are in these rooms so that we have access to them. Now, here's the thing. You always have access to these archetypal energies, but you have greater access the more time you spend with them. Does that make sense? What I want to move into now is another question that people ask me. How do I differentiate myself from a dominant archetype? Because here's the thing. Most of us don't have access to all the rooms in our house. Most of us live our lives... Um, as an alt- primarily as an altruist or primarily as an inner orphan or we are uh, consistently living life as, as a warrior. And wh- what's that saying? You know, when, when you're a hammer, you see everything as nails if that's the only tool you have in your toolbox, right? So when you're a warrior, you see everything as a fight or see everything as a competition. What do we do to differentiate ourselves from an archetype that has come to possess us or has come to dominate our minds. I'm going to give you some examples of what happens when each, when we have too much of one archetype in our lives, just so you get a a bit of an image here. If you have too much orphan in your life, then you, you, you just, you're constantly walking around feeling like you're at the mercy of your circumstances. That's not a good way to live your life. Too much wanderer, and you are constantly distancing yourself from others, from groups, from community, 
And so you're not able to receive the help that you need. We all need help from others. We all need community in our lives. So it's not a great way to live. You don't want to be dominated by the wanderer archetype. Too much warrior, and you're constantly feeling compelled to overachieve. Too much altruist in your life, and, and you become a martyr who's always giving your life away to help or please others. Too much innocent, and you fail to anticipate problems, and you get blindsided by life. You know those... You know, those people are like, oh, wow, I didn't see that coming. And everyone else around them is like, "Uh, we all did. (laughs) That person has too much innocent archetype in their lives. Too much transformer and you lack any sense of limits. You think you can change everyone and everything. There's none of those people in the world, right? Okay, so the, the goal here of the integrated life is to have access to all of these rooms, all of these archetypal energies, and to be able to draw upon them when we need them. And to have them balanced in our lives and not be dominated by any particular one. Well, what happens when you are dominated by one particular archetype? Well, the first thing to recognize is that most of your thoughts and feelings are not your own. Most of your thoughts and feelings have an archetypal basis. So in a sense, the thoughts and feelings that come into your consciousness, that you become aware of, actually come from one of these archetypal energies in your life. What I'm saying is most of your thoughts and feelings that are dominating your daily life don't come from your true self. Let me give you an example. So if I have an interaction with someone and they, and they really hurt my feelings and I feel betrayed by them or I feel um, that they have undermined me and I feel like I, I, I'm worthless after that conversation, then I go home and I start feeling depressed. And if I inhabit the space of those emotions and those thoughts, then what happens to me and most of us is we drag ourselves down, we talk ourselves down, we think ourselves down further into this spiral of greater depression, and as Anne of Green Gables will say, we get sucked into the depths of despair, right? I'm not talking about clinical depression, I'm talking about the depression that we all experience from time to time. So what happens in those moments when I start having thoughts and feelings uh, that I'm upset, that I'm hurt, that I'm depressed? What I need to do is ask myself, what part of me is depressed? What part of me is upset? And when I do this, nine times out of ten, it's my orphan archetype that's getting depressed, that's upset. So now I have already differentiated myself from the thoughts and feelings that are going through my head, which is an important first step. Now, sometimes I need to actually grieve the, the sadness and the disappointment that I'm feeling. So sometimes what, what I'm experiencing is actually an invitation to go on an orphan journey, to become more familiar and spend time with my inner orphan. But nine times out of ten, I have found what I need to do is let this go. Most of the time, I just need to let this go. And the way I'm able to differentiate myself from those thoughts and feelings is to consult with the other archetypal energies in my life. See, when I realize that it's, it's not my whole being that is depressed, it's just my inner orphan, and if I have the awareness of these other archetypal energies in my inner being, then I realize my inner warrior is fine. My inner transformer is fine. My inner altruist is fine. 
The rest of me is okay. It's just this one archetypal energy that is depressed. It's not me. And my true self certainly isn't getting depressed. And what that allows me to do when I differentiate myself from those thoughts and feelings that are threatening to take me down into deeper despair is I actually, if we go back to the analogy of having this house with different rooms, I leave the orphan room where I'm feeling so sad and depressed, and I walk over into my warrior room. And I'm like, How, what do you think about this situation that I'm in? Well, here's what we need to do. This isn't the first time this person has done this to you. We, well, here's what we need. We need a plan. We need a strategic plan, how we're going to interact with them the next time we see them, and just people like them in general. Okay, that's good insight. Let's go over and talk to my inner altruist. Well, we have to remember, this person's going through stuff. They're obviously hurt, and we need to make sure that we extend them compassion and that we care for them. But we need to care for ourselves at the same time. That's good advice. Go over and talk to my, my inner innocent. This, everything is good. Everything's good, Troy. This is exactly what we need at this point in our journey. This is stirring up things that we need to deal with, and we can grow from this, and we can learn from this. Good advice, innocent. And then go talk to my inner wanderer. Let's take a trip. <laughs> it's a perfect opportunity. Or let's leave this relationship. Like Warrior said, this isn't the first time that's happened. Let's, let's leave this, at least for a season, and go meet some new people. Let's join that book club that we've been thinking about joining. Okay, that's some good advice. Go to my inner transformer. Hey, we got work to do. Who cares about that? We're going to change the world. We now have some data. We can't transform that person, but there's lots of other people we can influence in positive ways. You see where I'm going with this? And as we consult these different energies, we realize, okay, this is just an inner orphan issue. And then either, okay, do we need to grieve this to help my inner orphan find healing? Or is this something my inner orphan's triggered, happens from time to time, and we just need to walk away from that energy? Now, there's a biblical way of, of talking about this. Paul, in first, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, says, Take every thought captive unto obedience to Christ. So what I have discovered is every thought and feeling that comes into my consciousness, I've already identified that most of them are not my own. And most of the thoughts and feelings that enter into your life are not yours. And what you need to do, well, there's two options. That thought or that feeling can take you captive and dominate you and make it... So if this, this depressing thought or feeling comes into your life, it can take you captive and make you feel depressed. And then you identify with that, oh, all of me is depressed and feeling bad. Or you can take that thought or feeling captive. How do we do that? Well, I, I just imagine a holding cell. So a thought or a feeling comes into my head, and I'm like, whoa, right there. I'm not just going to let you start walking all through my house. I'm not sure what you're about. So I take it, and I put it in a holding cell, and then I go consult my inner archetypes. Warrior, what do you think about this feeling? Now, some of you are looking like, what is he talking about? Well, you know, this might not be for everyone, this message, but I found this very helpful. I want to believe that this goes without saying, but I'm going to repeat it because it probably needs to be repeated. Anything we do in the external world and anything that we do in the, our internal world needs to be done in consultation with the Spirit of Christ. If there's anything you've heard from me for the last three years, it's practice the presence. That's the most important thing you can do. In, in, in the outer world when you're dealing with people, but especially when you're dealing with your own inner stuff. Practice the presence. So we're not just in consultation with our inner archetypal energies. We are also in consultation with the Spirit of Christ, always. But, but here's, here's what I found 
It's very difficult to actually be in tune with the Spirit of Christ until we are aware of and have integrated these different archetypal energies within our inner being. And I'll tell you why. Because if you've only experienced the inner warrior, then you tend to think that your true self, that the Spirit of Christ within you, is a warrior. So you think you're in tune with your true self, but you're not because you've identified with one particular archetypal energy. Or say it's the altruist. You've been raised to be an altruist. So you just automatically assume that you are an altruist, that your true self is one of these archetypal energies. And so whenever you get a thought or a feeling that resonates with archetypal energy of the altruist, you just assume that that is also resonating with the Spirit of Christ. It's not until you become aware of all these different archetypal energies within your own being that you begin to discern that, no, that's, that's not Christ, that's my inner orphan, or that's my inner warrior. Does that make sense? So take this thought and feeling captive, put it in its holding cell until you're able to consult the Spirit of Christ, your different archetypal energies, and, and then hopefully that grounds you so that you're able to listen to the Spirit of Christ, which is not any of those archetypal energies. It's your deeper being that is connected, that is made in the image of God. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying this is something that happens overnight. You've got you to work at this stuff. And how do we take a thought captive unto obedience to Christ? It has to be in harmony with our true self. It has to be in harmony with the will of God in our unique lives. It has to be in harmony with the Spirit of Christ that dwells within the depths of our being, the center of our being. But like I said, the only way I think we can truly become aware of the Spirit of Christ is to become aware of all this other stuff that's going on within us. Because I am telling you, for the longest time, I thought the voice of God was really the voice of one of my childhood pastors. We all do that. We internalize external voices, external authority figures, and we assume that that's who God is. It takes a long time and it takes a lot of interior work going through inner healing to actually be able to free ourselves from these fraudulent voices that have become the voice of God within our own beings. Am I making sense? I think I have time for one more question. Let's go with this one because this uh, is a question some people have asked. So, You're talking about all this stuff. Where is Jesus in this? And particularly, where is Jesus as Savior in this? Okay. Let's look at this through the lens of the the classic Christian understanding of conversion and discipleship. So, with that understanding of our spiritual journey, it really begins with an awareness of the fall. We become aware that we are fallen. We have fallen from innocence. So what that means is we become aware that we are not innocent. There's a lot of problems in the world. There's a lot of problems in our own lives. And we are not innocent victims in this. That we're actually part of the problem. And so one way of talking about that is to recognize that I am a sinner. Some people don't like that language for a whole host of reasons. But you can say the same thing by just saying I've fallen from innocent. I'm not innocent in all this. I think that's important because there are are certain versions of Christianity that are trying to get away with that completely, and I don't think that's healthy. I don't think it's healthy for you to not take responsibility for the fact that you're part of the problem. (laughs) 
I think that is an essential ingredient in the spiritual journey. So you become aware of the fall, that you are fallen, that you are not innocent. And then, really, that begins our orphan journey because we, we feel lost. We feel helpless. We feel powerless. And within this, the, the, the Christian understanding of conversion and discipleship, we feel particularly powerless with regards to three powers. The power of sin, the power of evil, and the power of death. When you become aware that you are not innocent and you try to live your life so you're not selfish, so you are not sinful, you quickly realize that I don't think I can do this. Not only am I not innocent, I don't think I can ever be innocent. So you feel powerless against the power of sin and you feel powerless against the power of death. I mean, we all have those, we feel our mortality, right? And the power of evil, you see I mean, you watch the news and you see, wow, there's a power of evil at work in the world and I'm powerless against this. In in that orphan space, you meet Jesus as Savior. You meet Jesus as the one who liberates you, who sets you free from these powers. I want to just say something, that some people find this language of describing Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, incredibly meaningful. It's a perfect description of their relationship with God. And there's other people who they hear that and they want to run as far as they can because there's just so much baggage, there's political overtones. There's, it, and you know what? My prayer for Avon Mennonite Church is that we have space for people who want to sing about Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior and we have space for people who would never say that in a million years. And that both groups will extend grace and compassion and understanding to one another. Without needing to understand. Don't try to understand why people love to sing about Jesus as their Savior. You don't, why do you need to understand that? Just be encouraged by it. Wow, they have a relationship with Christ. Amen. Yeah. Okay, you don't like the word amen? Whatever it is that you say, right? right there you go. <laughs> and for those of you who, like, why won't he just say that Jesus is personal Lord and Savior? Just tone it down. Do they have a relationship with Christ? Do they talk about their relationship with Christ, their relationship with the presence of God? Just let them be. They have their own language for their own reasons that you don't need to understand. Right? So let's love each other. Let's love each other. There's space for language. You know what? Newsflash, all of our language is inadequate. As soon as you start equating your language with God, you have a deeper issue. We experience the orphan. And we experience Jesus Savior. Perhaps a more inclusive way of talking about this is we experience grace. We experience God's grace. And, and that means we receive something that we can't do for ourselves. We experience something that we cannot earn for ourselves. And this experience of God's grace, it doesn't matter who you are, it is absolutely essential for your spiritual journey. You cannot take your spiritual journey without experiencing grace. That's the beginning. And what's interesting is when we talk about Jesus saves, Jesus sets us free. Jesus sets us free so that we can take our journey. Here's where I have issues sometimes with the Jesus is Savior idea because too many times we stop there. Jesus has saved me. Jesus has set me free. And we think Jesus has set us free from taking our journey. <laughs> right? Jesus has done it all. Jesus took the journey for me. No. What is Jesus' primary call? Follow me. 
You need to take this journey. You need to follow me on this journey. And guess where I'm going? To the cross. And it's not just me who dies on the cross. You need to experience the cross. You need to take this journey for yourself. It's not enough to believe in Jesus' resurrection. Jesus is taking you on a journey so that you experience your own rebirth. That's what this journey is about. So Jesus, no one else can take your journey for you. You need to take it for yourself. And yeah, parts of it are scary. And Jesus had moments where he was scared. You think you're not going to be scared? Okay. So this is really, the once we, we recognize we are fallen and we recognize we receive grace, that's when our journey begins. We are set free to actually take our journey. And that be, starts with the wanderer journey. We leave that which is behind and we enter the new. We enter the unknown. Sometimes that means leaving relationships behind. Family behind means leaving maybe our jobs behind. It certainly means leaving old habits and old ways of life behind. And we enter into the new and we enter into an unknown world. And sometimes when we experience Christ for the first time, sometimes that means entering the world of church. And what a weird and wonderful world that is. So you experience this whole unknown world and sometimes it's exciting at first, but it's always weird. It's still weird, right? So we begin this exploration into a new life. I've got to hurry here. So then we have the warrior and the altruist journey, which are really different parts of the discipleship. So the warrior is realizing, hey, I need discipline in my life. I need, I need to learn certain practices so that I can grow spiritually, so that I can become stronger in my relationship with God and in my faith. I, I need to be able to resist temptation because I've experienced grace, but I'm still being tempted. I need, to, I need to be this warrior journey so that I can resist temptation. And, and then you become aware that you're part of a larger battle. There's a spiritual battle on this earth that I'm, I'm a part of. I'm a part of God's revolution here. I need to put on the armor of God. So there's this whole warrior aspect to discipleship, but there's also this altruist aspect where Jesus is our ethical and moral teacher. And we realize Jesus' teachings are political and they are economic and they, they include every aspect of our lives. The way of Jesus becomes an ethical way of life. That's part of our discipleship. And then, of course, at some point, we, we are led to experience our own rebirth, our own resurrection, our own new life. And what happens there is Jesus and God is no longer out there, no longer in the Bible. This, the presence of Christ is within us at this point. And then the transformer journey is when Christ is a, a spirit of power that flows through us into the world around us, bringing transformation. So that's kind of where Christ is in all these journeys. And, and one thing that I'll, I'll come back to the Jesus as, as Savior is, remember, we never leave the, the orphan stage. It's not like we graduate from that and get to the transformer and we no longer have anything to do with the orphan. We're still orphans. We still have an inner orphan. And life will throw things at you and you will all of a sudden be your inner orphan and you will cry out to God for help. And you need to do that. The scriptures tell us repeatedly, bring your requests to God. You need to do that. God loves you. God wants you to do that. And here's the amazing thing. You cry to be rescued from your pain, from your suffering, from your, your, your hardship. And once in a while, God responds in a miraculous way and rescues you from it. I've, just, I've been around people of faith for too long and I've seen miracles happen in people's lives. I believe in miracles. Not every Christian does, and that, whatever. You know, we have different ways of thinking, but I, I've just seen too much. I believe that God intervenes in our lives in miraculous ways sometimes. 
But it really disturbs me when people start making formulas out of it. (laughs) That we can make God dance to our tune. If we get enough people praying, if we pray with enough faith and heart enough, then God will, as if God's waiting just a little bit more. Oh, you were so close. I was going to heal you. Oh, just a little bit more. Oh, that's too bad. I mean, it's morbid. I don't understand why God intervenes miraculously when God does. I don't. But I do understand why God doesn't. That's much easier for me to understand. If God always responded to every time we cried out to rescue us from our pain and difficulty, we would never take the journey. We would just all be a bunch of orphans, just a bunch of victims whining and crying all the time. God doesn't rescue us from all the hardship and suffering because those are catalysts for growth. That's how we grow. That's how we take the journey. If God took all of that away, we would have no mature, whole, healed Christians. There would be no transformer, God's agents of transformation in the world. Well, there's three more pages, but uh, I need to calm down and relax anyway. So. <laughs> That's a weird ending. I've got to work on my endings. I've realized that. Over the, you know. um, Spirit of God, help us. None of us truly know what's going on within our own beings. You are our guide. You promise to be our guide. And actually, I'm just reminded, I'm going to close with this, this verse. And I'm not going to preach my points on it, but I am going to, to read it for you. And that will be my closing if I can find it. It just came to mind. John eight twelve. Jesus spoke to the people and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 